Big Swinging Stocks acknowledges the traditional custodians of Australia's lands, skies and waterways and pays respects to Elders past, present and emerging. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Big Swinging Stocks. Today's episode is all about 2023 investing trends, specifically in the very, very well-loved ETF sector. This week, I'm joined by Blair Modica at Beta Shares. Welcome to the show, Blair. Thank you, Alex. Really nice to be here and uh, thank you for having me. Oh, it's our pleasure, honestly, because this report was juicy and there's a lot to dig into. But before we get to that, tell us a little bit about yourself. What do you do at BetaShares? Yeah, absolutely. Look, I'm a distribution director at BetaShares. I've been with the team for just over six years, actually. And really, my primary role is to deal with financial intermediaries, so financial planners, wealth managers, stockbrokers, and talk to them about our different investment set and how that might yeah. be well used for, for their investment portfolios. Okay. So tell me, what's your first investing memory? Because you're now a distribution manager. Mm. How did this all kick off for you as an interest? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, Look, I think my first investment memory was um, my dad giving me stock tips as a child. He he was sort of in the same industry, but um, would come home and it's sort of, you know, the the early 2000s mining boom in Australia and start talking different names. And and one that really struck a chord with, with me and him was Fortescue Metals, which I still hold today um, and has done really well. But not only that, a really interesting story in the ESG front as well and just some interesting things they're doing there. So one that I hold close to my heart, which isn't necessarily a good thing, but interesting nonetheless. Amazing. So BetaShares just just published this report. Mm. Tell us about, I think the first thing that really struck out to me when I was reading it was Australian ETFs or funds under management, FUM, as cool people in the industry like to say, of which I am pretending to be, just ticked over $150 billion yeah. in June. Like, that's huge. So what do you think is driving some of that uptake amongst investors in Australia? Yeah, it's a really good question. And I think what it all comes down to in the main, I think the biggest tailwind is Post-COVID, but even probably over the last 10 years, people have become more empowered to look at their own finances and and find ways to do things cheaper, but also potentially access, especially in Australia, different international markets that previously you couldn't do, or if you could do it, you had to pay a great amount to be able to invest in. So we talk a lot of beta shares about democratizing investment management and bringing Mm. it to the people. Now, that might be a little bit corny, but I think it rings true. And with 82 different funds now, you know, there's probably something that is going to pike the interest of an investor, whether it's in technology, broad-based market cap, or fixed income and bonds. So there's, there's certainly plenty to talk about. Absolutely. So you said BetaShares has 82 and then across the industry, there's like hundreds now of ETFs. Spot on. Yeah. What's the most popular amongst investors? Yeah, it's a really good question and probably depends on the particular investor and and the different market environment. At the moment, in terms of ETFs in Australia, what's being Mm -hmm. used in bulk, which has come back into vogue in a very big way over the past 12 months is fixed income, which what it comes down to, I think, is the fact that you've got an interest rate that has a four handle on it, which hasn't happened in Australia mm. for a very long time. Now, what that means is yeah. in the main, you're getting quite a stable return on your cash. But then if you take you know, a, a little bit of risk up the risk spectrum into traditional yeah. fixed income, you are being well compensated for that. 
And with the fact that there are concerns about a global recession on the cards, people are happy to take a little bit of risk off the table, park their money in bonds and still get a return that could be anywhere from four, five, six percent, but relatively is less risky than the equities market. Yeah. And I think if we take a step back away from the ETFs themselves, one of the really fascinating things for me is watching the changing face of providers as well. So have we seen a lot more new entrants into the ETF like management space? Yeah, good point. Look, I read, I think this morning I read that there's 40 different ETF providers in Australia. Now, they vary in terms of how many different investments they have, right? So I think BetaShares has the largest, but there's players in the market with one or two specific funds that might be active, might be passive, might be smart beta, but are trying to deliver different investment options. So it's interesting you bring that point up because I think you know ETFs in the main have been cast as potential passive tracking investments. And absolutely, traditionally, that that has been the case. But now more and more so, you are seeing you know traditional active management come into the ETF banner or different rules-based strategies that um, try and achieve returns above what the market's doing. So it is interesting how sophisticated it is becoming. Yeah, and diversification in that as well. Like I think people traditionally thought of them as like passive index tracking funds. And that was probably what Vanguard kind of built themselves on. But definitely beta shares and iShares, I'd say you guys in particular, the active space is what at least I found out about you guys yeah, from. Yeah. It's something that, you know, you and then also like just the very sexy new products you come out with every week. I think it's <laughs> a new ETF with you guys on shorting and long and like Definitely. all sorts yeah. of different kind of, I think accessibility to your point earlier is something that is really clear in the product suite as well. Like all the different types of options and some of the more sophisticated products that I think people would have traditionally gone to a broker to do for them, which is really Absolutely. cool. Absolutely. I mean, we just saw it there with you, you know, your, your face lighting up, talking about different, you know, geared or leveraged investments. I mean, 10 years ago, we probably wouldn't be having this conversation. And now you're familiar with it. You can access it easily. I think that's, you know, net a good thing for everyone. Yeah. And as people get more familiar with them and understand they're not a passive long-term, like sit in a bucket, yep. sit in your investment portfolio, that I think is really important Absolutely. as well. But For the everyday investor, there's been a lot of talk about volatility in the market. You just mentioned there's fears and I think it's common common media headlines about possibility of a global recession. Do you still think it's a good time to invest? Yeah, I think the message I'd, I'd drive home there is there's probably never a bad time to invest. There's always opportunities out there in the market. And what what we'd say to a good or a bad time to invest is, the more you can leverage diversification, the more protected you are going to be from a market downturn. Now, you know, at the moment, there's certainly opportunities within the fixed income space that 12, 18, 24 months ago didn't didn't show themselves. You know, not not everyone might be across how the fixed income market works, and it is pretty complex, but there's certainly opportunities there. But if you flip that and look at the equities market, I mean, six months ago, people would have told you technology's out, technology's now rallying. How long does that last for? Maybe some dark clouds on the horizon, but it's very hard to tell. So the, the point then becomes wait your entry points and do that over you know a six-month time period and, um, and be diversified and, and you should be okay in the long run. Yeah. And why do you think psychologically people prefer ETFs over other investments like unlisted? 
active yeah. managed funds or even individual stocks or listed investment companies, for example. Look, it's an interesting point. I think that's, you know, one over over a single stock. I mean, you get that benefit of having a basket of securities that might play into a different thematic that's really close to your heart. And therefore, there's a perceived less risk that you're taking on by investing in a package of different securities rather than one. And then to active management, I think price comes into it in the main. I mean, there's there's certainly mm-hmm. nothing wrong with with active management managers, but I think people are attracted to the price point of ETFs. Traditionally, they are cheaper, which gives people a, a level of comfort that their returns aren't going to be eroded by what they're paying for the uh, the investment. That's a very good point. And people are probably happy with the market return, like constantly out seeking to outperform the market, beat the alpha really hard, really expensive as well. That's exactly right. I mean, research shows that, you know, 85% of active management can't outperform over the long run. So people, people are happy to take that passive approach and grow with the market, which, you know, over, over a long period of time tends to do well. Mm. You've mentioned that ETF preferences have shifted towards fixed income, but I was looking at, it's the Australian ETF Mm -hmm. review half-year 2023 report for anyone who wants to jump on and read it. I thought one of the most interesting things was there was an outflow, a significant outflow of funds from international, but BetaShares NDQ recorded a record inflow and the fund climbed to the top five, I think largest funds, I believe was the metric, so top 10 for the half-year. I thought that was incredible because to your point exactly, Six months ago, people were like, ah, tech's, tech's yeah. over. You know, we're all moving to AI or whatever. It was the du jour investment. Why do you think NDQ has come back in such a big way? What's changed for investors? Yeah, yeah, you're spot on. I mean, you know, 12 months ago, it was sort of tech rec 2.0, some pretty disappointing trends within the technology space. And, and given rising rates tend to spell trouble for the technology market, people sort yeah. of shying away from investing in technology. Fast forward 12 months and that's completely changed. And what's interesting is, I mean, you know, you, you do in a way throughout the rule book with respect to technology because it has performed really strongly in a rising rate environment, given that those those big businesses within the NASDAQ, so to speak, so, you know, Apple, yeah. Tesla, Microsoft, these businesses have posted strong earnings and, and continue to sort of defy market expectations. So the interesting thing about the NASDAQ in particular is that mm. you've got a group or a population as we are that are obsessed with technology. I mean, you can reach out and touch. Everyone knows what Microsoft is. Everyone knows what Meta is or Facebook and these these different sorts of of technology vehicles that we use every day. So there's an automatic familiarization with the, the NASDAQ fund and the constituents within it, which makes it popular. And then when you start to see performance continue to, to rise, people then do start to go, well, you know, there is an element of fear of missing out, but I think people go, well, I need to get back into this or I need to have an investment in this because I'm so familiar with the products and they're going to do well over time. Essentially like blue chip tech funds. Yeah, yeah. but essentially it is blue chip technology. Yeah, yeah. no one's going to stop using their iPhone or their lap- Microsoft laptop. Another top performing product that I wanted to get your views on was the Crypto Innovators ETF. Now, yeah. this was a very exciting launch from BetaShares. I think you were one of the first. Uh, yep. And for anyone who hasn't been keeping an eye on it, 121% increase in half-year performance. 
what's going on? Because the crypto market is certainly not experiencing a 121% increase. Yeah, it's a it's a great point, Alex. That one comes with a, an element of caution. I mean, the fund itself, I think from peak to trough when it was first released was down about 80%, mm. could have been a little bit more, which was in line with the crypto winter that we've seen yeah. over the last sort of 18 months. So the interesting thing about the crypto fund is that it's not investing in direct cryptocurrency. It's investing in businesses with a profit and loss and a balance sheet and that need to, you know, comply with different regulations by, you know, their native stock exchange. Yeah. So, you know, accounting principles need to be followed or there will be a price to pay, so to speak. So these businesses over the last six months have really ridden that technology wave. There've been some in there that have done extremely well, mm. which is, you know, responsible for the price. But the key point to take home, and I think that the smartest thing about that release from from our point of view was that it gave people the ability to have a in investment in cryptocurrency without being involved in the extreme volatility and in some cases, you know, extreme to the point where the cryptocurrency is just no longer there. Mm. An ability to have an investment that will, yes, be volatile, but still sticks to, you know, principles that that come with being a security on a stock exchange, but at the same time give you a proxy to the price of different cryptocurrencies. I think for anyone who hasn't seen it, it's almost like a, a peripherals investment. So you invest in, for example, Coinbase, which is a crypto transaction or like a brokerage essentially for crypto. Correct, it is. And that's, I think, an interesting part. It's like, you know, you're not investing in Forex, you invest in Visa. And so you capitalize on the transactions and everyone else that is involved in delivering crypto. And I think there's a couple of companies that also are. Yeah, it's it's, it's sort of like a picks and shovels approach, right? You buy picks and shovels when other people are buying gold. The performance as well is a really interesting note around it's only 121% on its low. And the fund did, as you say, experience quite a significant decline as the crypto market sort of had a major adjustment as the interest rate started to bite. So my next question, this is a fun one. We just love asking fund managers and people in finance this question because it's so speculative and we get a very wide range of responses from very conservative to people just like having a jab. We promise you'll get to keep your job after this, but... Imagine it's the 1st of January, 2024, and you're looking at the front page of the AFR, like investing side. What's the headline? Gee, I I really think the headline is going to be that, you know, inflation concerns are still abound and it's not coming down quick enough. So you think it's entrenched? Look, I think we just are looking through some of the key data that that sort of shows that core inflation is, is sticky. And we're, mm-hmm. we're perhaps not not there yet in terms of yep. getting it under control into that band that central banks around the world want to see it at. So, look, I do see, you know, more interest rate rises coming. And, you mm-hmm. know, some people have called peak rates. I think there'll, there'll be a couple more. But, again, yeah. that, that presents opportunities. I mean, you know, the stock market at the moment continues to rise. You know, do we see a U.S. recession over the next 12 months? That will bring about opportunities within equities markets, and I think that can be a really good entry point for first-time investors or, or investors in general, which is which is a good thing. So you think it's not just a fixed income story. You think there's actually an opportunity potentially with interest rates continuing to rise for investors to get a really good deal on equities and like the classic, the blue chip. 
Well, the, the interesting thing is, you know, there's there's been plenty of people calling for a stock market correction over the past six months and it hasn't happened. <laughs> I would err on the fact that there there would be a correction at some point, which would present an opportunity to get into the market. Amazing. Well, investors always love to hear that there's opportunities on the horizon. We all love a discount. Thank you so much, Blair, for joining me on the show. It's been wonderful chatting to you. Thank you, Alex. It's uh, It's been an absolute pleasure. And folks, thank you for joining us on another episode of Big Swinging Stocks. Make sure you like and follow us on your favorite platform, be it Apple, Spotify, whatever graces your ears. And you know, as millennials, we always love external validation. So make sure to drop us a comment on the self-wealth socials to let us know what you liked. See you next week. Bye for now. This podcast is brought to you by SelfWealth and operates under AFSL number 421789 as general advice only. Because we can't take into account your personal objectives or financial situation, you should seek independent professional financial advice before making any investment decision. For more information and our financial disclosure statement, check the show notes.